Hi, this is Angie Meadows, and this is The Rocket Recovery. This is Josh Baum with Rocket Recovery. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a break from the um, addiction recovery stuff, and we're going to do an enabler recovery, which is still part of The Rocket Recovery. It's called An Enabler's Journey, a Christian Perspective. And if you have friends that... Um, think that the scriptures distract them. I took the scriptures out of the book and made it principle-based like AA, and I called it A Thousand Tears and Enabler's Journey. Both of these books are on amazonbooks.com. And it's the support of addiction. Absolutely. The life of addiction enabling. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to identify the dysfunction here. I went to Al-Anon, and uh, I was, you know, giving all of these problems that I had with my loved one in addiction. And the woman said to me, he's not sick, you are. (laughs) (laughs) So proceeding to defend myself with my mental soundness with a horde of reasons, I described how I was the responsible one. I'm not sick. And she smugly responded to me, well, who keeps allowing the insanity to continue by interrupting his consequences? So I was stunned by the realization that I was the sick one. (laughs) So I implored her to speak to me more about how any loving mother could reject the involvement in their adult child's life, particularly a mama who could foresee all the future ramifications of taking such a stance against his addiction that would be financial devastation, unemployment, destruction of his health, loss of his home, divorce, abandonment, aborted children, imprisonment, and certain death if he continued on this path. So she assured me that all these consequences were looming possibilities. The consequences were more imminent with my excusing his irresponsible behaviors, setting up firm boundaries, and not allowing myself to succumb to the emotional manipulation was the only sane thing for me to do. So in my last weeping plea to her, I said, but mothers don't turn their backs on their children. And she quickly retorted and she said, yes, but those mamas don't have to put up with this garbage. We have to get tough and stop being part of the problem. The realization that I was addicted to my adult child set me on the path of recovery. Mm. So it's been a 28-year journey of analyzing my behaviors and the behaviors of those around me and documenting my observations that helped me put this book together. There are 24 chapters on how not to enable and to be able to see the cycles that uh, people go through in addiction. So I want to detach emotionally. Detaching emotionally has been a development survival skill I have had to learn and relearn again and again. Yeah, detachment has allowed my decision-making to be based upon what is right for me. My, my decisions are not based on manipulation from an out-of-control individual. Yeah, so I had to decide, I had to look long-term. I had to not look at the immediate cries of the person that was struggling with the consequences of their addiction, but I had to look look long-term and say, now what would be best? Eventually, I was able to let go of insanity and recover my own heart, giving my, myself permission to move forward. I can now enjoy my own life. I can care for others in the wake of my loved one's destructiveness and bring healing to those who want help. I can release my loved ones to the consequences of his own choices and hope that he will soon want to stop his suffering and find recovery. Let us begin. So Josh, what I have found when I'm working with those in recovery 
in recovery from addiction is that they become enablers also. And that this codependent enabling is something that keeps them sick. Yes. They go back and they find their friends and now that they're sober, they have this deep empathy for the one that's out there struggling and they lose themselves. Yes. Right. <laughs> so they get out there and they're like um, trying to fix, manage, and control somebody else. So an enabler is one who empowers another to persist in self-destructive behaviors such as substance abuse by providing excuses or making it possible to avoid the consequences of such behaviors. An enabler must realize they are not dealing with a rational loved one, but with one driven by the insatiable demon of addiction. Mm. And isn't addiction a demon? Amen. <laughs> oh, uh, man. You just can't get loose from him. Something you said earlier that reminded me of something like, if I never, the consequences, if if they don't have to go through the consequences, like, how am I going to know it's hot if I don't get the feel of the heat? You know what I mean? Mm. How am I going to know not to touch that because it's burning if I don't get close to the heat? Right. If you know mama's I mean? always there to rescue, yes. how are they going to yes. learn? So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote in her work on death and dying, the different five stages of grief. And I realized that as an enabler, I was grieving and grieving and grieving and gr and it never stopped. It just cycled. And so the stages of grieving are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So I realized that when my loved one would go to prison again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, <laughs> I, instead of suffering and laying awake all night, if I moved through denial, anger, bargaining, depression really fast, I could move through it in three minutes, five minutes, and say, okay, I'm going to accept the, the, the fact that he has the right to, ha to his own life and his own consequences. And when I did that, then I, I could sleep. So as with grief upon the death of a loved one, enablers must go through the same stages to obtain freedom from the mental torment associated with enabling another adult with irresponsible addictive behaviors. So let's see what denial looks like in enabling. Whenever enabler makes excuses, covers up, or accepts the financial consequences of another person's behaviors, it literally places them in denial. Soon, another crisis surfaces. The, the enabler must then decide whether to accept the situation or attempting to fix it and return to their denial. During this stage, one frequency frequently reacts with shock, which results from a, an awareness of possible impending death due to the serious destructive behaviors of a loved one. Unfortunately, it is not a shock that might bring about change, but one where the enabler asks, what will the other people think? Or, I need to help him. Or, and he will appreciate it so much he won't do it again. The enabler will often assist my loved one in the diversion of blame and escaping consequences. Hmm. So that's kind of what I did. I... Um interrupted consequences. I blame shift. I help them escape. 
I stood them up, dressed them up, made them look pretty, and and went to bed for them. And I thought that that's what mamas did. But I didn't know the beast of addiction. Yeah. I didn't know what we were facing. I didn't know that, man, he's got to get knocked around while it's still small before it's so devastating that he's never going to recover himself. So my second stage was anger. Once an enabler has made a financial investment in helping their loved one, they become angry when their loved one is ungrateful and not making steps to change. The anger is particularly intense if the individual with substance use disorder substance use disorder starts stealing from them and continues lying to them. If there is no anger, the enabler is truly deceived, thinking their continual righteous act of goodness will cover the unrighteous ones made by the one they are protecting. The enabler can be a soft target if they have unresolved guilt from the past. So I had been a single mama, so I had a lot of guilt from that. I had a lot of guilt that his dad had been an alcoholic and that he had not grown up with a father. So I felt like I needed to be doubly good, doubly rescuing, doubly fixing him and straightening him up and propping him up. I didn't realize that a lot of this stuff was just stuff had that were seeds that were planted that had to work themselves out. So of course, once I bought the car, once I paid for the this part of the education or that part and bought the books, and I felt like I had invested something. Mm-hmm. And then when he didn't take advantage of it, I was mad. <laughs> I was really mad. So then that led me to the bargaining stage. Read this, Josh. During this stage, an enabler becomes a manipulative person for good outcomes. But a manipulative person just the same and will begin preying on the good of others, including friends and family, to help the individual in addiction. The manipulation by the enabler may involve lying or even threats to obtain assistance for their loved one. Then the coercion extends to their loved one. This is a masterful skill to exhort, extort good behavior from their loved ones with addiction behaviors. Manipulation is then learned and perfected by the one with SUD, yes, substance, substance abuse disorder, disorder. Mm-hmm. and is it is flipped back unto the enabler and used to fuel our exaggerated guilt to continue financial extortion. So what I found, Josh, was that when I helped him, I was manipulating other people, triangulating this one and that one to believe that he, that this was temporary, that he was better now, that this was, a, you know, that he was going to learn from this consequence or that one. And, and so as I started doing this, then I started pulling in other enablers to help me. And we'll discuss that in the next chapter. But I, I didn't realize that my manipulative behaviors were small compared to his, but he watched me and learned how to manipulate in a masterful way. So one of those chapters in this book, uh, we'll look at that manipulation. So the next stage I went through was depression. And let me tell you, I would go back through these stages over and over and over again, and I just couldn't get to acceptance. So I literally spent like 20 years cycling in this grieving. So here's the depression stage. When reality sets in, and the enabler realizes they are not the one who can save their loved one and cannot manage another person's morality or actions, despair sets in. The enabler sinks into confusion and guilt. They think they are being too harsh and rushed to save their protege to alleviate the depression. This continues the toxic relationship. 
In this stage, they have fallen into repeating cycles of bewilderment, feeling helpless and hopeless. The tendency is to throw money at it and revert to the stage of denial and sweep the problems under the rug. It is impossible to cure addiction issues with money. Instead, you have to have received their financial consequences and they are free from responsibility. Now their only care is the next high. Isn't that the truth? Spent too many years like that. Yeah, so if somebody rescues you, if somebody makes excuses for you, helps you blame somebody else for your behaviors, now you're just, you don't really have any worries except yeah. where, to, where to go to get your next high, to get your next fix. So I want you to know that money does not fix addiction problems. No. No, it does not. They, they say on them commercials like, come to the beach where you can get recovery. And it, they act like that's just the one place that's got the best success rate. The best success rate is pain. For <laughs> and it's, it's us mamas getting back and grandmas getting back and letting them suffer. Yes, and I'm it, telling you, and let you them know, suffer. The, the thing that kept me enabling was that I was like, but what if he dies? But what if he dies? But what? If, and, and, you know, I had to finally decide that it was okay if he died, yeah. that those were his choices and it was okay. But what I was doing was not helping him. No. He was going deeper and deeper and deeper into addiction. And when I usurped one consequence, the next one was stronger yes. because it was like the Lord was poking him with little consequences, fees and fines and a wrecked car. And I would just prop it up, fix it, prop it up, fix it. Prop. Well, you know, then there was physical ailments. There was um, infections and diseases and stuff that I couldn't fix. So maybe if I had backed up early on with the first DUI, with the first arrest, maybe he would have learned. Yeah. Maybe he would have went to prison, done his time. Maybe he would have learned. And and I sure wouldn't have spent the money that I spent. <laughs> I would have had it for later when he recovered. So how is it that I get through these cycles of grieving with someone in addiction. I mean, I feel like all or nothing is not of God. And so when I cut him off and acted like he was dead and just avoided it altogether, well, yeah, I could go on and have a little happy-go-lucky life with the children, the other children and my husband, but there was always this nagging, okay, but can I fix it? Can I do anything? So what I did, Josh, is... I intermittently uh, answered his emails, answered his calls, and said, are you ready? What'd you do to get yourself here? What are you going to do differently for tomorrow? It, my, my communication with him changed because at first I was saying, oh, how can mommy fix it? And now mm-hmm. I was saying, what did you do? Yeah. How can you change? Yes. You know, what's your responsibility here? Yes. And, and are you ready to go to rehab? Yes. So I would say for 18 years or so, I took him to rehab. Yeah. <laughs> It was a lot of years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Grandma, go get him. I take him. Grandma, go get him. Yeah. I take him. And finally, he figured it out. So here's where acceptance comes in. Read right here, Josh. It is not until the enabler comes to an end of their coercing and realizes things are broken and beyond their control that they can find acceptance. Mm-hmm. The enabler is powerless to change another and must let go of the responsibility to do so. This is followed by extensively painful mourning period, which feels like an ex- exceptionally long funeral dirge. dirge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting fancy with my words. Yeah. Long funeral procession. <laughs> <laughs> In this process, the neighbor must die to their own wishes and plan plans for their loved one. 
This emotional death gives the enabler the freedom to live their life and invest themselves in others who can be safely loved and want to enjoy healthy relationships. So sometimes you have to turn from that one that doesn't doesn't want to stop and wait until they're ready. And, and me going through both sides of it, I would say the sooner the better. Yeah. Like for real, the sooner the better you let them go and you love them from a distance and let them go through all the stuff. I wish I would have been put it through it right off the bat. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't ha- and the crazy part is I didn't have a mom that really saved me, but I had people that saved me. They mm-hmm. come in and play mm-hmm. dad. Like I remember this old man, he played dad to me, let me live with him while I did drugs. He didn't do drugs. He just enabled me. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. if I wouldn't have had nobody, like you said a minute ago, like if I wouldn't have had anybody and just straight to the bitter pain, I would have maybe, maybe got out of it a lot sooner than I did. You know what I mean? Uh, you would have hit the pig pen faster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And realized this is the pig pen. Yes. I can, I can do better than this. Yes. But if it seems like when they fall slowly, they yeah. don't realize they're in the mud. No. Yeah. No, it's because you slow, gradually yeah. be comfortable with, you know what I mean? The pig pen. Right. Yeah. Well, and you're so used to numbing any emotion with the drugs that yeah. you don't feel them. Yeah. So when an enabler matures and develops healthy boundaries, their loved one may also desire recovery. Yes. So I had to lead the way to my recovery, to stop being enablers, to just stop rescuing, at times to have no contact, to let him con- contact my husband or somebody else that didn't have such a strong empathy muscle, but could, you know, there he wasn't going to let him die of an infection. He was going to buy his antibiotics, but he wasn't going to give him cash. Yes. He was going to buy the antibiotics for him, and then it was going to be up to him whether or not he took them. So the enabler must emotionally release the one they cannot save to his or her own compulsions. This is done by allowing them to experience the pain of their own consequences. As a recovering enabler, do the research for them and give them addresses and phone numbers for substance disorder treatment centers, medication-assisted treatment clinics, halfway houses, food pantries, homeless shelters, and support groups. However, the enabler must leave the decision of recovery in their loved one's hands. Even a person with functional substance use disorder with the home, a car, employment, must be fully responsible for their financial obligations. Allowing them to wallow in the pig pen of consequences might wake them up to the reality of the future they are destroying and become a catalyst for change. So what I've also seen is enablers uh, being enabled by family members, and then they just turn around and, and enable the addicts in their life. It's like it's like if they get grandma to pay the $200 electric bill, then they have $200 now to give to the one that's a drug addict in their home. Yes. <laughs> Where if they had to say, no, your electric is going to be turned off, the next month maybe they wouldn't give their money to the addict that's living with them. So sometimes we have to stop enabling even enablers so that they learn. Yes. So my fellow enablers, could this mean death of our loved one? Absolutely. Addictions can certainly lead to death. Enablers do not need to stay on the path of destruction with their loved ones. I've told many that I love that are in addiction, if you go down that road, you go alone. And when you want to come back, I'll be here. But I'm not going down that road with you. It's the best way. Yeah. The, the enabler must realize their over-responsibility is fostering their loved one's under-responsibility. Yeah, and, and being over-responsible makes me feel like I'm mature because yeah. <laughs> I'm really responsible. Yeah. But I'm responsible for somebody who's irresponsible, and now that's allowed them to get away with 
things and and uh, and actually lead to more destruction let your loved ones learn responsibility for their actions quickly while they are young let them bear the brunt of full responsibility for their legal and financial issues when they experience very painful circumstances they may choose to change if you rescue the next consequences of their action will be more destructive and maybe even life-threatening. So the road of an enabler is mental torment and despair. The road of acceptance leads to peace. So this book that we're going to be talking about over the next uh, 12, 15 lessons, this book is going to begin to assist us to explore the toxic behaviors of our loved ones with substance use disorder and our corresponding dysfunctional behaviors until we can clearly see the game the addictive substances drive our loved ones to play. We cannot break the cycles of enabling. So this next chart, I want um, Josh to read the addictive behaviors, and I'm going to read the enabling behaviors. Manipulation. Merciful and tender-hearted. Lying. A fixer. Stealing. Over-responsible. Cheating. A people-pleaser. Blaming. Desires for a good outcome. Coercing. Manipulative for good. Hiding cowardly. Assist our loved ones in their addictive behaviors. Obsessive thinking. Blaming. Compulsive. Impulsive. Making bail. Negative thinking. Motivated by guilt. Grumbling, complaining. Gullible. <laughs> pretending helplessness. Yep. Immature. Philosophy is to keep picking them up and eventually they're going to stand. Raging. Bullying. Anger. They believe that money can just fix this problem. Abusive. Irresponsible. Crisis making. They believe consequences are unfair or too harsh. Diverting the attention elsewhere. Then the enabler is fearful and anxious and stressed. Separate enablers from others. If they, you allow yourself to be separated from people that can help you, then you're denying that this addiction is real. Gossip slanders anyone who opposes them. And then you feel that no one loves the, uh, the individual with substance use disorder but you. Isolating. And then you think that you're, you're your only loved one's savior. Peer dependent. And then you think that that they fix the temporary consequences one more time, that their loved ones will stop, and you go back into denial, and you're a really good excuse maker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I did all these things. <laughs> mm -hmm. I did all of these things. So if you're an enabler, you may be a recovering addict that's an enabler. Yes. Uh, and now you've, your focus is off of your recovery, and you're going back and helping your friends that are in active addiction or even passive addiction. And so what happens is that you're going to lose your sobriety much quicker than they're going to gain theirs. Yes. <laughs> and so you can't stay on that path with them. Yes, because they will drag you back out. Right. Um, it's because there's too much suffering. Yes. There's too much suffering, and if you've already been there anyway, uh, sometimes you lose your footing for your own recovery. So what advice would you give someone who is in recovery and their best friend or their mate is back out again? What would you say? Uh, keep them at a distance. Uh, do what you said. The best way is to, are you ready? Are you ready for real help? Just keep it at a distance. Listen, as, addiction, as an addictive personality and an addict myself, I know for a fact that I cannot go back into the a room and hang out and call myself the same as they are. You know what I mean? I know that I'm an addict. I can't go in and say, uh, 
Because even the first day, I can go without. I'm here to help. I'm here to help. The second day, I'm here to help. The third day, uh, I'm here to help. The fourth day, let me have some of that. Yeah, yeah, you got to stay away from it. Stay. (laughs) Don't even look. There's this scripture uh, in Proverbs. It talks about the wine, and it says, don't even look as it swirls and it's red in its cup. Don't even look. Yes. So Josh's advice is, is to run. Yeah, to run, really. And step back uh, for just quick text. Are you ready yet? Here's here's the phone number to this, uh, you know, help line. Here's the phone number to this food pantry. Here's the place where you can get help. Guide them in that direction so that they're not alone, but you can't help them until they're ready. Yes, because here's the facts. The facts are how can you help others when you can't help yourself? You you have to work on yourself. You can't really help others. Let somebody else that – uh, a different like a uh, recovery place or something like that help others you know what i mean yeah because they need more help than i can give them yes and they me- need more help than grandma's couch Facts. and they need more help than uh their loved one's basement Facts. <laughs> you know we're literally coddling them yeah. and that's not going to help them yes. so at some point we got to say this is a problem this is on you let me know when you're ready yes And this is Angie Muddle. And it's Josh Bond. And this is The Rocker Recovery, and we've been talking about an enabler's journey at Christian Perspective.